Here is Purple, where the third or fourth most mediocre Husky football podcast on the internet. I'm Andrew Berg, and joining me for this wonderful Sugar Bowl preview is Mark Schaefer. Mark, how are you doing? Good. Got a nice little pre-bowl rest, like most of the players, so forgive me if I'm a little rusty. Don't yeah. don't hit as well as I used to, but... You're supposed to spend all that time... Um, going through an extra series of practices i think and yeah testing the waters for if there's any nil money available for you on the market i've i've hit the portal yeah <laughs> i'm listening to other offers don't have any at the moment yeah <laughs> you're always welcome back here anyway we're gonna break down the sugar bowl we're gonna do it by looking at some of the key matchups in the game let's our first big matchup is one that centers around probably Texas's best player, which is UW's interior offensive line against Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy, the defensive tackles at Texas. Before we get too, too deep into it, before I hand it over to you, I'm going to go through a few of the highlights here. Sweat was the Big 12 Defensive Player of the Year. He's north of 360 pounds by all accounts. He occupies blockers, and then Murphy rushes the passer. Murphy has the best pass rush win rate for any interior defensive lineman in the country. Both of them could be first round draft picks. They're extremely talented. Obviously on the Husky side, we know the Morris award uh, for best offensive line in the country. The Huskies won that, but uh, Troy Fautanu and Roger Rosengarten, the tackles are kind of the strengths of the offensive line, not going to be able to help here. Nate Kalepo and Julius Bulow do have the size to handle, um, you know, somewhat handle somebody like sweat, Parker Brailsford, the center, uh, kind of pushed into action before it was expected due to injury. He's played way above expectations. He's been great, but he's giving up about 100 pounds to sweat. So it, my question is, how does this play out? Will Texas just collapse the pocket anytime the Huskies try to pass? Is there any hope for a Husky run game? Texas's run defense has been great all year. How does this play out for the Huskies? I think people severely underestimate the ability of Dylan Johnson to kind of slip out of tackles. Uh, He's got the power, the vision, and uh, the ability to make cuts and the agility that you want in a good running back. He's not the the fastest guy, but he is a very powerful runner. So that has to be a factor when you're talking about how our run game will hold up against Texas's run defense. But with Brailsford, he he's a little bit undersized, especially when you said he's given up 100 pounds to, to, to Vondre Sweat. Uh, he'll have to rely on technique instead of size, which I don't know how much that counts for when you're dealing with a, a guy <laughs> that can just go... count for 100 pounds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. With a guy that can just go through you whenever he feels like it. But you also got to take into account what are the matchups that we're going to use because we might shift guys in. We might shift, you know, the bigger, if we have a bigger center, we might shift them in. Or we might get the hatchet, one of the hatchet brothers out there. I know 
was it Landon that's dealing with an injury? Uh, yes, I, I believe as far as as far as I know, uh, probably won't be playing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think it, 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 that is an interesting. I mean, Texas has statistically been great, great against the run all year. Um, the Huskies have kind of run when necessary or when the opportunity has arisen, right? Like the the super rainy games, we've seen more Dylan Johnson. The, We've run more than I thought we were going to. Yeah, I agree with I that. I mean, if you, if you were to tell me at the beginning of the year we'd have a running back with 200 carries in the season, I'd be like, what? Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, when, when it's available, like the USC game, when USC just could not defend the run, feed him. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm skeptical that this will be a game like that where it, it's – pays off to just give the ball to Dylan Johnson 25 times. Yeah. I do. The thing I'm more worried about here, well, and I do think we have other options for short yardage plays. I mean, we've seen, uh, you know, kind of lateral passing game to Jeremy Bernard, Giles Jackson, even Jalen McMillan, short passes, wide receiver well, even, screens. Even the tight ends get involved even the in tight the screen ends. game. Yep. Yeah. Uh, for sure. I'm a little bit more worried about what it does for the downfield passing game. Uh, this is different than what we saw against Arizona State, where they blitzed up the middle over and over and over. But I worry about if there's pressure up the middle and Michael Penix doesn't have the time that turns him into such a, a you know, computer uh, of being able to break down coverages. Um, what's it going to look like? And I think you're right that that it's going to be about matchups and it's going to be about, you know, how do we strategically deploy double teams uh, on on the defensive tackles, particularly on Sweat, how do we stop Murphy with an extra blocker? You know, bringing uh, using Johnson and pass blocking and things like that. Uh, but it is going to be tricky, and it's going to be a key matchup to be able to, you know in the passing game as well. So I, I think that also spills over into our wide receivers going up against Texas defensive backs. Which is also obviously, you know, part of the same matchup if Penix isn't getting time. But one way we can get, you know, obviate the need for time a little bit is by uh, getting open quickly or finding routes that can um, get uh, players open quickly. So, you know, all year long, Odunze, Polk, and McMillan have kind of been the engine of one of the best offenses in the country, along with Michael Penix. The the Texas pass defense has been definitely worse than the run defense across the board. And the, some of the stats that support that, they're below average in havoc rate. That means, you know, tackles for loss or pass breakups, interceptions, things like that. Mm -hmm. They're below average in explosive play rate allowed. They're very average in success rate against the run. UW is elite in all of these categories. So mm -hmm. what are you going to be looking for in the pass game? So... The thing that's hard about this is I haven't really watched much of Texas this year and how they play defense. I've, I've been more concerned about their offense. Uh, but I think it's going to look very similar to what we saw last year in the Alamo Bowl where we get a lot open underneath and because they didn't give up a lot over the top, if you remember that. Uh, but as a result of that, Michael Penix, yeah, he threw the ball 54 times, which is absurd, but like the numbers of his average yards per attempt bear that out where they don't give up a lot downfield. He averaged 5.3 yards per attempt. We saw 
we saw Rome, J-Mac, tight ends get open underneath and rumble for a few extra yards. So I think I think we're better equipped to do that this year with Jeremy Bernard. He's like our our screen guy. You get him open, he, he makes stuff happen. But this is not going to be a game where we throw it 54 times, I don't think. Yeah, I think that kind of speaks to what we were talking about in the run game as well, that um, if the if we can't kind of run between the tackles, do you create a run game through the air? Do you throw the, the quick screens or the swing passes to Bernard or to Giles Jackson or somebody and let them run on the outside, kind of the way that mm-hmm. we often see Oregon do it? Um, that's possible, you know, and that extends Michael Penix's passing attempts by eight or ten passes over the course of the game. Yeah. Um, So even, yeah. They might surprise me. They might throw in a shot down the field here and there, and maybe a few of them will get completed, especially since their their havoc rate's really bad. Their defensive havoc rate. Yeah. I think that's right, that it will probably at least look for Romo Dunze when he gets in single coverage, and it'll be about the choices Texas makes defensively. Are they constantly shading a safety to to Odunze to prevent those downfield passes? We've seen when they do that, you know, kind of dragging McMillan across the formation, um, get him one-on-one and see if he can outrun um, the the slot corner or a safety covering him. And those are, mm-hmm. are ways we could take shots, but it is going to depend on how much time does Penix have on those plays. And I, I think with the, I think with the man-to-man, uh, it's going to be a little bit tougher because Texas's DBs are a little bit bigger. I think I saw one of them's like 6'2", 205. Uh, so it's not it's not going to be like, oh, Rome goes up over this guy, catches the ball, comes down, and gets a first down automatically. They're going to make us work for it. Yeah. Um, I think it is worth noting, just I, I like looking at kind of what has worked against the team. And in most of Texas's most difficult games this year, the run the run defense was effective, but it was really the pass defense that was, you know, keeping other teams in the game. When they played um, Kansas State, Will Howard threw for over 300 yards against them. Uh, Hoover for TCU threw for over 300 yards. Those were both three-point games. The loss to Oklahoma... Um, Dylan Gabriel had he he scrambled a lot, but he also had 285 passing yards. So it, it's it's definitely over the course of the season, the teams that are are that play with Texas are the teams that uh, run the ball or that that throw the ball better than they run the ball. You know the ones right. who are really good rushing teams like Oklahoma State, um, Kansas kind of got destroyed. Uh, so the, it's it's been the teams that can throw the ball that have given them more trouble. So I think. In that regard, there is at least a little bit more of a um, matchup advantage for the Husky offense, or at least, you know, obviously we're talking about teams in the college football playoffs. These are very fine margins saying like this could be an advantage is a very, very small advantage because all the teams are really good. And two, when I say Texas is havoc rates bad, I'm like, this is the team that ended up in the playoffs. So how much does that matter anyway? Yeah, right. They've made decisions. They have a phenomenal defensive coach in Pete Kwiatkowski. We'll talk yes. a little bit more about him later. Uh, but they, they've they made choices, and they, they make a choice to, like you said earlier, contain big plays 
prevent things from going over the top. They don't make, you know, a ton of havoc plays. And that's been Coach K's MO. So let's take a quick break. We'll talk a little bit about when Texas has the ball, what some of the key matchups will be there. And uh, we'll be right back to talk about that. Welcome back. We've talked a little bit about the Husky offense and what the key matchups will look like on uh, the Texas defensive side. Let's look at the other side of that, what some of the key Sugar Bowl matchups will be when Texas has the ball. Biggest name on the Texas offense is obviously Quinn Ewers. He was the number one recruit in the country a few years ago, started out at Ohio State, moved back home to Texas, and has started to emerge, uh, particularly this year, as looking like a true playmaking quarterback and not just uh, untapped potential. One of the key matchups of this game will just be yours against UW's pass defense against, you know, kind of the whole thing. Part of that is Braylon Trice, obviously one of the best in the country at getting pressure on the quarterback, not a huge number of sacks. Uh, the sacks have, you know, he's disrupted a lot of passes, uh, hurried a lot of passes, forced quarterbacks out of the pocket, helped other DB or D linemen get uh, sacks not so many himself, but the pressures are still super valuable. And then in the secondary, we know Jabbar Muhammad, not really a concern. Mish Powell in the slot, not really a concern. Elijah Jackson definitely has been a concern for most of the year as <laughs> get of the second outside cornerback. Texas has both Xavier Worthy and Adnai Mitchell, uh, both excellent, super talented, physical wide receivers. So the question is, can yours isolate um, one of these receivers on one of UW's inferior defensive backs, whether it's Jackson or somebody else in the game, and will he have time to throw if if that's the approach? How does that passing game look for Texas? Well, like you said, I'm not really concerned about Jabbar Muhammad because he's shown that Oregon State game really solidified that if you get put on Jabbar's island, you're not getting off of that island until the game's over. Uh, but Elijah Jackson's been kind of I guess okay would be a charitable uh, way to describe it. Um, he's been penalized a lot. He's been burned a lot. Um, tackling is suspect. So I think this is going to be a situation where you're going to see the other DB ste stepping up like Asa Turner, Cameron Fubikulainen. Uh If they can get tack, if they can get tackles in space, I don't, I don't know if Texas really likes to throw the ball short because Quinn Ewers is averaging 9.4 yards per attempt, which is kind of in the medium range. Uh, but the, like you said, they have very physical receivers. Uh, one guy went to Georgia. He's got big game experience for sure. So this is going to, this is going to need to be an all hands on deck type. And if we want to contain yeah. these guys. I think that's fair. And and the safeties will be important. Uh, and yeah. the times when we've seen our safeties at better health, the past defense has looked so much better. Like in the Pac-12 championship game. Right. Particularly Asa Turner and Cam Fabricolanen. When both of them can rotate in and play, it makes the secondary look like a completely different unit. It's, a, it's just so, so much better. It, the the help is better. The tackling is better. The support in the run game is better. Uh, when we're down to kind of the skeleton crew at the back end, that's when I think, you know, even things like Elijah Jackson's 
failings have been more apparent because he doesn't have help. They've been magnified. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I, I, God, I I feel bad saying this, but I, I, part of me was wondering if I I kind of felt like he had improved over the course of the season. And I went back and looked at some of his PFF grades week by week. And it really wasn't true. It's, it's the, the missed tackles continue to be there. The blown coverages continue to be there. And particularly the penalties, like you said, it, it has been not a good season for Jackson. And as a result, kind of our, our secondary that has been the weak link all season long, I want him to be getting better, but it's I'm, it just hasn't really been supported by the stats. Yeah, I was gonna say I feel so bad. Like we're taking him to task over here. We don't play. We're just we're just we're just fans. Yeah, but, but like, we are. We fans. want him to be better. <laughs> um, we 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 are fans who have watched a lot of these games and have seen um where we have been picked on defensively, and unfortunately, it's kind of centered around the same part of the field. A little too often so yeah um, yeah yeah it, it has but we been, want him to be better absolutely yeah or or to <laughs> or to get a, another db who can help him um <laughs> so I, that's I, I think that will be something to keep an eye on um can quinn ewers kind of isolate u-dubs less effective uh parts of the secondary uh the other part of texas's offensive game plan will definitely include their running game against UW's interior defensive line. And while the secondary, other than some specific isolated parts, has been pretty good, pretty decent for most of the year, mm-hmm. the, the interior defensive line and the linebackers stuffing the run ha- has been a bit of a problem. Uh, it's kind of the opposite strength versus weakness is what, what Texas has done. UW doesn't have this this tag team of great uh defensive tackles we have Tuli Latui Nasanoa and if he's not in the game we don't stuff the run I think mm-hmm. over the course of the year on plays he's in the game the average yards per carry is more than a, a yard better than when he's out of the game uh oh, wow. so last year it was Texas had Bijan Robinson but he sat out the bowl game in the Alamo Bowl this year Jonathan Brooks is their star running back but he's out with a knee injury CJ Baxter is the lead runner, super talented, but less proven than Brooks. We know from Steve Sarkeesian coaching the Huskies, he has a tendency to run power when it works and just stick with it. Is this going to be a really run-heavy game plan for Texas, or do you think it's going to be a little bit more balanced in the way they approach? If So they've had to shift to a running back by committee uh, approach with uh, Jonathan Brooks not being the power guy, not being the lead guy, I should say, excuse me. Uh, I think I think that's gonna continue with this game, and like with what you said, Sark is gonna go to what's working. So if that's the power run, we need to pay attention to that, and that means Tuli's also gotta be on his game. Like, I I I think his best game this season was the Cal game when Jaden Ott just could not get going. So we're gonna need another game like that out of him. If we want to be, if we want it to be more than a one possession game, yeah, it'll be interesting because Tuli's had some more time to recover. He was obviously banged up a lot, yes, a lot in the second half of the year to the point where there were games where he wasn't playing or he was playing, you know, a series or two uh, when it was really important. But um, 
we've seen such a huge difference when he is available to play. And hopefully that time off has given him, uh, you know, made him more available. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on how Texas uses their running back rotation. You mentioned Baxter has kind of been the the first among equals. They've had some other uh, yes. running backs as well. Jaden blue, Savian red. Hopefully we get the, you know, the whole red and blue attack. Um, they have not generally been as productive. Um, Jaden Blue has been kind of a big play threat, but hasn't been as effective running between the tackles, which is really the thing that has has done damage to the Husky defense. So it, it, it may be overly reductive to say, like, as long as Thule is in, we're going to be okay. But when he has to sit out, we're, I kind of would expect uh, Texas to just pick on that um, interior defensive line and just run the ball as much as they can. I, I feel I feel like saying that does a disservice to like Eddie Ulfoshio, Raylan Goforth, all those good linebackers that we have, Carson Bruner, because they're gonna have to they're gonna have to step up and support the run. This is not just a one man operation, and if this is not like if Tuli's not in the game, we can't stop the run at all. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, in theory, that should be true. <laughs> it's not like, you know, nine yards to carry when he's out of the game. But yeah, it's kind of been the difference this year between can teams just run the ball to get first downs, four or five yards to carry, versus can we stuff them and get them behind the chains when Thule's in or when he's not in. Uh, and I would love to see that change. I, I just don't know if going up against one of the best teams we've played all year, best running attacks we've played all year, uh, is going to be the time where I expect to see the sudden improvement on the defensive line after you yeah. know years of seeing Bandis and Tuatelli and the rest of this group um, playing mean, together. I mean, we are getting help off the edge in Zach Derby, so I don't know how much of a difference he's going to be. I don't know where they're going to use him or how he's going to play. Yeah, that'll be interesting. We haven't seen Zach Durfee play yet. He finally resolved his eligibility issue with the NCAA didn't make any sense to begin with yeah. but the low-level transfer did he come from the NAIA uh, I think it was yeah um and so he's he's coming in and he he's a transfer he he's only played one year of college football I believe um but did not the, play football at North Dakota State but had to sit out anyway because the NCAA transfer rules are dumb but yeah right he played well he played at um Sioux Falls at at DeBoer's alma mater, um, two seasons there. And now he comes here and like, you're, you're right. The transfer rules didn't really make any sense. Um, but he's, he's interestingly, the coaching staff pushed for him to play. They wanted him in the lineup, even though he yeah. hasn't played at anything close to this level of competition. They didn't want to give him a year to adjust. They wanted to get him in the lineup. So there's some level of belief in him. It'll be interesting to see if he does make a difference in this game. It's certainly and, possible. And that belief extends to the players, too. Like, everybody, every offensive line, every edge rusher, every defensive lineman, they they all say, like, yeah, this guy's good. He can play, he can play next year. Yeah, I'm very excited about that because it's with, yeah. with ZTF and Trice presumably gone next year. But I have more immediate concerns right now around – um, playing for a national championship. So we'll see if he can have any impact on that as well. One final key matchup is, you know, we're not going to see them um, going head to head in the trenches, but Steve Sarkeesian against Kalen DeBoer is just, you know, full of 
uh, excitement, full of narrative for Husky fans. You've got the former coach who kind of brought us out of the doldrums of the Ty Willingham era against the coach who's kind of elevated us to new heights, one national coach of the year, which is super exciting. And they've had very different paths here. While both are super innovative offensive coaches and both have built really good staffs around them, Sark has had, you know, he's kind of famous for having seven and five, eight and four seasons over and over, no matter where he goes, whether it's, you know, bringing a moribund uh, Husky team to seven wins and everybody being thrilled about it to getting fired for doing the same thing at USC or initially struggling that way at Texas. Now he's got a 12-win team. DeBoer has been winning 10, 11, 12 games a year pretty much every year he's coached, but has not been doing it at USC and Texas for his whole career. So in your mind, what are you you kind of keeping an eye on in, in the coaching matchup in this game? Like, what do you think will be the relative strengths and weaknesses between how they manage the game and how it will, will play out between the two of them? I think the biggest difference will be in what kind of plays are they going to call? Because in the big 12 championship, Sark was super, super aggressive, super early. Whereas uh, DeBoer, he, he is aggressive, but he's more even keeled on the sideline. He, he's just he's not coming in like with a swagger about him like the way Sark is. So I think the different the difference in the offensive play calling is gonna really be the matchup to watch because DeBoer, I've noticed he he doesn't want to embarrass you, he just wants to win. Whereas Sark kind of kind of pours it on a little bit and that shows in his play calling. Even though it's even though it's very entertaining to watch, I mean, everybody likes the double reverse passes and and the the big man touchdowns. So, I think that's the number one difference, at least philosophically and in temperament. Yeah, I, I that's probably fair, uh, and it'll be interesting also to watch some of the the supporting. Um, matchups that go along with that it's probably the two greatest um husky coordinators of the century are pete kwiatkowski the defensive coordinator under um under coach peterson and uh currently ryan grubb the offensive coordinator i mean that's debatable he hasn't been here all that all that long but the results have been phenomenal i would agree with that um and they will they will be calling plays head to head against each other you mentioned earlier that Coach K has a tendency to kind of keep things underneath. Ryan Grubb likes to take shots, but isn't addicted to it. Do you think he'll have the discipline to, to kind of take what the defense gives him in this one? What I like so much about this staff is that they adjust. They come out with an initial, with an initial game plan, and when that doesn't work, they they don't just they don't just hammer away at it. Be stubborn, and they adjust to what is working and go to that primarily. So, yeah, yeah, that's true. It's, it's going to be interesting. It is. Um, one other name to note: the the co defensive coordinator Jeff Choate, also former Husky assistant. Um, I don't actually know if he's going to be coaching this game. He took over at Nevada. Uh, he may have already taken that 
job, but it, it is yeah. pretty typical. I think when assistants take another job, they will stick around for I've... the CFP games. Uh, and I think he's still on the staff, but um, probably at least split splitting his time a little bit with Nevada. I think he still. I think he has some of his staff already in place at Nevada. Like yeah, he's been okay. hiring people these past couple of weeks. Uh, I know Eric Schmidt, who's going to be the DC at uh, San Diego State, is going to keep coaching in this game. He's our edges coach. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And he will, yeah, he will move on to that game, hopefully, in a couple of weeks, um, because yes. he, he will be busy in the meantime. Um, but it's, you know, I, I I do look back on the Sark era fondly. The the Probably the worst thing you could say about it was that they were, he, he did not hire a good defensive coordinator when he was at UW. Uh, Nick Holt. Was, shout, shout out to Nick Holt. Yeah, Nick Holt. Uh, just not good. Um, but he's he's definitely addressed that problem. He's hired one of the best defensive coordinators in the country, and yes. has really changed his fortunes at Texas. Um, it is kind of funny because the other thing I remember about the Sark era was there were just so many penalties, and it was maddening at UW the number of penalties they had. But we've also had a ton of penalties under DeBoer, who's the national coach of the year and is 13-0. and 0. So I yeah. can't be too hard on Sark for the penalties, uh, although I will say more of those were kind of like discipline penalties, like late hits and hitting guys out of bounds and stuff. Um, and there are probably a few more tactical penalties like holding and um, pass interference, where if you get away with it, it is more valuable to you. Um, yes. In the DeBoer or like era, illegal but... formations, illegal shifts. I see those with us sometimes yeah. which it's in some cases are not even illegal and our offensive brain power has just fooled the referees yeah like i think dylan johnson got called for an illegal shift when like he was totally not over the tight end or whatever it was during the yeah. utah game yeah that was that was the one that sticks in my mind when DeBoer was so angry that he called a timeout just to yell at the referees. Um, and it turned out he was right that it was, you know, they said Quentin Moore was an illegal receiver. I think it was Moore, it might have been Culp, yeah. an illegal man downfield because um, he wasn't covered up, but he was covered up by uh, the receiver further outside and they just weren't looking at it. Anyway, we've we've broken down all the matchups. We've looked at the coaching. We've looked on the in the trenches the skill position players taking that all into account. Tell me how this game plays out. And what do you think the final score is going to be? I think it's going to be a slugfest, like a heavyweight fight. There's going to be scoring up and down the field. There's going to be some big plays on both sides of the ball. There's going to be one or two turns of luck that usually go our way. And Obviously, I'm biased, but I'm counting on it to go our way again. I think we win in a close game, 42-38. I that's I, I I agree with all of that. I think it's going to be a little bit more low scoring than that, but I I think I'm pretty much with you across the board on on. I like points. The, that's all I can say. I don't blame you. It'll be fun to watch, and sometimes these bowl games do get a little bit crazy on offense. I think I'm going to. Um, I like the margin that you have. I also like how UW has has lots of reps in, in closing out close competitive games. They're not going to be, mm -hmm. if they're down three points with four minutes to go, they're not going to panic. 
especially Michael Penix. He's he's been super comfortable in these tight game late game situations and he's executed in them. And having done that is going to make him more confident in his ability to do it again. I like yeah. the fact that it's, you know, we don't have to worry about elements. I think that has been an underrated part of when people say, you know, like Penix had a lull um, about two thirds of the way through the season, kind of in that, that stretch of Oregon state, um, Utah, uh, those games were played in horrible weather. Uh, yeah. That's or, not something Oregon we have to worry state, about here. You can blame the rain for the receivers dropping passes. Mm-hmm. Apple cup was not a pleasant weather game either. Um, that wasn't like, a pleasant you know, game, period. No, that was miserable. Uh, just awful. <laughs> um, but I, I, I like. I do think we're going to see a really good Penix game. I like the uh, idea, or I like the the notion that Texas's pass defense is kind of trailing behind their run defense. Um, I think Texas is going to be able to move the ball against us, and it'll just be about making um, timely plays, making an interception getting a sack at the right time to kind of swing the possession game in our favor when we need it. And I think adding that all up, I'm going to pick the Huskies to win something like 31 to 29. Um, Could definitely go either way. Two great teams, but I I do like um, how the matchups play out. 29, are they going to go, or is Texas going to go for two? There's some weird, there's always some weird um, math in these games. Maybe it's, you know, (laughs) Two touchdowns and five field goals. I don't know. Could five be a safety somewhere along the line. No, I'm not expecting that. I just, uh, I, I don't think it's too much about exactly how they get to the number. I yeah. think of um, kind of like a, a, a difference in score and then kind of work back from that because, yeah, going for two or um, kicking extra field goals or whatever, you can end up with some weird numbers. All right, so let's let's uh, wrap it up and go through our recommendations and plugs. Mark, did you over the holidays have any um, entertaining non-football things that you were able to consume? Non-football things. Um, a few weeks ago, this this is sports related. I went to the uh, Museum of Pop Culture in Seattle. And they have these really cool exhibits. Uh, my favorite was the guitar exhibit, where they had various guitars and who they were played by and like you could listen to samples of that guitar being played in certain songs it was really cool and then they have a hendrix exhibit that like documents his tours around the u.s and europe which was really cool and then they had a 50th uh a 50th hip-hop anniversary exhibit which had a bunch of cool photos and just yeah just a cool trip all around if you're ever in seattle go to the museum of pop culture yeah that sounds great uh i do love mopop or former emp uh, definitely done a few laps around that building and i always enjoyed mm-hmm. it when they have cool rotating exhibits they've had some really good ones over the years um starting to catch up on some of the movies as you know, the annual best of lists come out and things start to come on streaming. Uh, I watched May, December last week, the movie that's kind of loosely based on, well, not that loosely, pretty neatly based on Mary Kay Letourneau's life and controversy in Des Moines, Washington. And, uh, but it's, this is not set in 
Washington. They said it in Savannah for some reason, but other than that, made it pretty faithful to uh, the story as it happened. It has Julianne Moore plays the Mary Kay Letourneau character, and then the movie or the movie is based on the premise that they're making a movie about her, and Natalie Portman is spending time with her to um, study for the role. And it's a it's a very interesting movie, and people who were in Washington and and remember that story developing will probably recognize some of the storylines to it. Um, pretty well made. I, I it's on Netflix, free to watch, um, worth a couple hours. It's entertaining. Any thoughts on Mary Kay Letourneau? I I was not I was not familiar. I just looked it up, so no, I have no thoughts. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's a weird story, um, but a good movie. So I think that's it for today. Uh, hopefully, next week Cody Pickett will be on to break down a Husky win in the uh, Sugar Bowl. I keep almost calling it the Alamo Bowl because I'm still stuck on last year. But and we're in a similar geographic area too. Yeah, and I think part of it is just like we're playing Texas, and so my mind goes to Texas, and Alamo is more Texas than Sugar, and even though it's Sark's not on much the other sideline, and he was in that one Alamo Bowl where he had like oh god, the seventy thousand points. Yeah, I I remember watching that game. Um, crazy. That was oh, it was very like, it was aggravating, but also fun to watch. Terrence Ganaway had five touchdowns just in the second half. That's a pretty good game. Anyway, hopefully we'll be back to reminisce about Terrence Ganaway. We'll have our own five-touchdown performance uh, against Texas for Cody Pickett to break down uh, with us, and we'll be looking ahead to either Alabama or Michigan in the national title game. We're always getting closer to both the national title and to Cody Pickett joining us. In the meantime, thanks for listening, and go dogs. Go dogs.